Good morning. Merry Christmas. This is kind of fun, huh? Here in the round? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for today, for the gift of your son that we remember. We ask now that you would, as was just sung, breathe on us so that your word might be opened up, the minds might be refreshed, and we might hear what the Spirit is saying to us through this great text of Holy Scripture. Have mercy on us, Lord. We wait for you to speak. Amen. God knows what we need, does he not? He knows what we need. He doesn't need us to really tell him what we need, but he appreciates it when we do. But if our our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent us an educator. If it were for technology, our greatest need, it would have been uh, wise for him to send us a scientist. If our greatest need was money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. If our greatest need was forgiveness, he would have sent us a Savior. And that's exactly what he has done. He sent us a good and glorious Savior. And in the text that we're looking at today, we see a story that's oftentimes overlooked at Christmas. I'd like to spend a few minutes with you looking at the prophecies of Simeon and Anna from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. When the time had come for their purification, that is, for Mary to be purified, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law. By the way, this phrase, written in the law, is five times in this story from Luke. Five times Luke is very eager for us to understand that all that they're doing is according to Holy Scripture. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The best gift that parents and grandparents can give to their kids are spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is what they need. Jesus has been born into a good family of pious, obedient, devout Jews. Joseph and and Mary circumcise him this eighth day and, and give him the name the angel had told him. Jesus, which means Savior. And they are examples to us of the faith. As law-abiding Jews, they go to the temple and they perform Mary's purification rites after birth. And they present Jesus to the Lord. They don't redeem him from the Lord. They offer a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And this offering is made by the poor. Evidently, they can't afford a lamb. Jesus identifies with those he has come to save, born into a poor family. The sacrifices that they offer symbolize that a person is offering themselves through the sacrifice because they themselves actually deserve death. The guilt and death penalty, instead of being placed on them, is placed on the animals. The person offering the sacrifice goes free, and the animals are killed. When we, as parents, 
pray for our kids, for our spiritual growth, we are imitating Mary and Joseph. We need to model that for our children in uh, 2013. Parents and grandparents, imitate Joseph and Mary, modeling spiritual growth for your children. Take them to worship. Model Bible study for them. Attend classes in small groups to, to show them that you treasure God's Word above all the counsels of the world. Present them to God in faith through dedication and through baptism. Parents, this is our, our task, is it not? To raise our children in the admonition of the Lord, just as Mary and Joseph did with Joseph, with Jesus. The longing of Simeon is seen so clearly in this passage. As I've thought about this passage over the years, I hope that I develop that kind of, of longing, that desire for God that's so clearly seen in this righteous man. He was from Jerusalem. His name, Simeon. He's righteous. He's devout. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took the baby in his arms, he blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The Holy Spirit led this old man into the temple to greet Mary and Joseph. Luke delights to point out that he was a righteous man. He was a devout man. Simeon's character is what Luke is highlighting. His moral excellence, his spiritual maturity, not his wealth, not his position or power, his character. That's what he wants us to learn. This is a vessel that God has uniquely prepared. That's what God focuses on then and now, the development of character, that moral excellence that reflects the image and likeness of Jesus. Simeon had been prepared his whole life for this one sermon. This is Simeon's one big shot. His entire life had been one experience of shaping and fashioning his heart after another, leading up to this one moment. Simeon walks with God. He has a deep relationship with God. He's a devout and righteous man. And the Holy Spirit's upon him. He's anointed. He's endued with the Holy Spirit. He's soaked with the Holy Spirit because he's been in the presence of God and God has been gracious to him. Simeon has been waiting. We don't really know how long. We don't know how old Simeon is, but we assume that he's very old and he's been waiting his whole life, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He longs for the deliverance of God's people. He looks forward with eyes on the horizon not looking to the past, looking forward for the hope of Israel to be revealed. 
He has a longing in his heart to see salvation come to the people of God. What an example for us, Simeon. What a way to live the last years of your life with that deep longing in your heart to see salvation come to God's people. God had revealed to Simeon that he would not taste death until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. This is a long wait, but he's been patient. He's getting old. Imagine the anticipation as each new child is brought in and Simeon peels back the the blanket and takes a peek. Is this the one? No, 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 no. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of no's over long, long years. And yet he persisted, waiting for the consolation of Israel to come. Until this one day, it's a yes. God has arrived on the scene. The Lord's Christ has come. So Simeon's hymn, which is commonly called the Nunc Dimittis, which is Latin for now you are dismissing, now he can depart because God is actually dismissing him. He's fulfilled his role. This is the fourth hymn in Luke's gospel, and it's a prophetic hymn. It's the hymn of a man who is longing for God. It's a deep, deep statement of faith, deep faith that has sustained Simeon for many long years. And now Simeon can depart in peace according to the word of promise that has come to be fulfilled. His Lord is fulfilling what he has planned from of old. And Simeon's old eyes probably had cataracts, probably needed some glasses, a little LASIK surgery, but his his eyes have, have longed to see this salvation. And now he sees it. You know, to see Jesus is to see salvation. When you get an accurate picture of who Jesus Christ is, you see what salvation is. The longing in Simeon's heart turns to joy, even though his departure draws near. He knows now that he is going to die, and yet he is overflowing with joy. Simeon's job has been to be a watchman for the Messiah, constantly looking on the horizon. His small role has been played. He's been a faithful servant. He is at peace with God's purpose. He's at peace with God's plan for his life. And now he knows he can depart in peace. Why? Because he is ready to go home. He has seen his salvation and he'll depart in peace, fulfilling the purpose God had designed for him. This peace, of course, is salvation. He can go to be with God because he knows who his Savior is. If you've seen Jesus with the eyes of faith, you're prepared to die, no matter what your age is. Even as a young child, if you have seen with the eyes of faith who Jesus really is, you are prepared not just to die, you're prepared to live in this life, to live a life overflowing with the Spirit, imitating Simeon's devoutness, his moral excellence, and his faith. When you know the peace of Jesus Christ, you know God's salvation. And that longing in your heart for peace is filled. When you know Jesus Christ, God's salvation, that longing in your heart for the hope of heaven is filled. When you know Jesus Christ, when you see him with the eyes of faith, that hole in your heart for the purpose of your life is filled in. And suddenly, you know what you're all about. 
You know where you're going. You know what each day holds for you because each day is an act of worship, an act of joy and service to your king. Have you seen Christ crucified for your sin? Have you seen the salvation that he has prepared for you? Have you seen Christ risen in victory in salvation? Do you know his peace? Do you know his peace? Do you know his peace? Do you know it? Do you know, as my pastor used to say, do you know in your knower, down in your knower, his peace? That cessation of war. You're no longer having a a fight with God. You you know that, that peace. And when you see who Jesus Christ is, you no longer live with the fear of death. You know, they've done studies that show that the fear of death is one of the the primary anxieties that that people have, the fear of death. Even small children, oftentimes, they see these terrible events on the news and and they're filled with, with anxiety. But if your hope is in Jesus Christ, if you've seen Him, you see the salvation that He offers, you can live in this life with peace, that cessation of war with God is yours, and you can live without fear. Simeon also says that Jesus is the light for all people, Jew and Gentile. He's that bright morning star. For Gentiles, Simeon says he is a revelation, an unveiling. The way of salvation is now open to all nations. It's not closed. It's not exclusively for the Jews any longer. For Israel, God's people, Jesus is glory. He's the fulfillment of the promises made by God that shows that Israel is does indeed have a very, very special place in God's heart. Simeon's not done. There's a note, however, of foreboding in this prophecy that he gives, this early Christmas carol. He must leave Mary with this incredible thought that she is actually going to suffer because Jesus is going to cause division. He says this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many, many in Israel. Jesus will divide the nation of Israel. Jesus will divide every nation. Jesus will divide families. Jesus divides businesses. Some will fall at the name of Jesus. Others will rise. This word rise in the Greek, by the way, is the same word that's used for resurrection. Some will fall and some will rise. You know, you can't be lukewarm with Jesus. You're either, you're either falling or you're rising. That's, that's the bottom line. And Simeon prophesies that he is actually going to cut Israel right down the middle. Most oppose him. Most will fall. And that will be a sign that will be spoken against them. People will contend against Jesus. People will contend about Jesus. The road to this fulfillment of God's promise is not smooth. There's going to be suffering. And to identify with Jesus brings pain. It brings sometimes division because people that we care about, people in our families, people who live across the street from us, People that have the cubicle next door oftentimes will reject the very Savior and the very peace that He offers, and it causes us pain. Sometimes it even gets severe, this this rejection, and, and they turn their anger against God towards us personally. Maybe you've experienced that. Have you ever experienced the angry rejection of Jesus, but it has your name on it? 
Have you ever experienced that? I know I have. Jesus comes to both humble and to raise up. To identify with Jesus will bring pain because many reject him. This rejection explains Simeon's allusion to this sword, this this terrible sword that will pierce Mary's very soul. When a child suffers, a mother's pain penetrates very, very deep. I think this morning, this Christmas day of, of those little children that were lost in Connecticut and the, the families that must just be, on Christmas, just be mourning with devastation and despair, still reeling from the shock of what's happened. A sword reflects pain. And those who identify with Jesus in this world, this world that rejects the salvation that he offers, will experience pain. Simeon's word to Mary shows that identifying with Jesus oftentimes has painful consequences. He brings division in the thoughts of our own hearts. From many hearts, he will reveal, he will expose where the heart really, truly is. You know, when our hearts are exposed and we see our sin, we see our sin. Do you see your sin ever? I do. And when I see it, I recognize what a great gap there is between where I am and where God is, where God's holiness is, and where the reality of my my actual walking with Jesus, I see this gap, and it reminds me once again daily of my need for the gospel. It reminds me of my need for God's rescuing grace day by day by day. He exposes our heart. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, the Bible says. If we see our sin, then we see our need for rescuing grace. If we fail to see our sin, then we we fail to see our need for the rescuing grace that's offered us. We fail to see the remedy that God has provided for us. And when we fail to see the remedy that God has provided for us, then we miss out on the peace that He offers. In fact, we miss out on the salvation that comes to us through Christ's broken body and shed blood. When we take communion this morning, we'll be reminded once again of how we've fallen short. We'll see our sin once again, reflected in in the holiness of God and in His inerrant, infallible, holy Word. When we see that gap, it should remind us, it should remind us of this great remedy that He's provided. God's grace is greater than our sin. And that's the gospel that we need to cling to every day. Now, stiff-necked people are hardened with sin and not aware of their need. And that's why Simeon can say, this child's appointed for the, both the fall and the rising of many, a sign that is opposed because thoughts of many hearts will be revealed through him. The longing of Simeon, the long-suffering, waiting for God's manifest presence to come on the scene. The second snippet here that we read in verses 36 to 38 is the longing of Anna. There's this prophetess. There are seven prophetesses in the Old Testament, and Anna is sort of the bridge between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. She's from the tribe of Asher. She's advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, before she was a virgin, meaning 
probably around 14, 15, 16, she got married. So how old does that make her? Old as dirt. I mean, she's, she's what, 98 years old? Maybe 100? Maybe older. She's advanced in years, having lived with her husband a long uh, seven years and then 84 years as a widow. She didn't depart from the temple. She spent her time there worshiping, fasting, prayer, night and day. Coming up that very hour, in God's providence, she's led. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna praises God for His great plan. Anna lifts up her heart to God and releases praise to Him. Anna has had decades, decades of drawing near to God. She's had a life experience utterly and totally devoted to God. Her spiritual maturity is highlighted. She's a faithful widow, a regular worshiper, day in and day out. She fasts and she prays. She adds fasting to her prayer. She's full of thanksgiving. She's one of those people that's happy even though she's fasting and being involved in lots of of spiritual formation and spiritual exercises. She's full of thanksgiving at the arrival of this special child. Why? Because this child will complete God's promise. She speaks about the child to anybody and everybody who will listen, to all those who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's her hope. She's looking forward to the completion of what God has started long ago. Her life is about prayer. Her life is about fasting. Her life is about worship. And out of that, her life is about witness, about sharing, about testifying to the greatness of God and the gift of His salvation. Jesus brings division right down to the very core of the heart, the thoughts of many hearts are to be revealed in the revelation of this gift of God. Do you sense a need to depend on God? I know I do. Do you sense a need to draw close to Him? Have you ever met somebody, perhaps an older person, who has spent a lifetime devoted uh, to God, drawing close to Him? One of the, the, the most godly men I've ever met, uh, his name was Dr. John White. He had spent quite a bit of time in Central America as a uh, missionary. He was a British gentleman who was a, a medical doctor who had ministered in a leper colony. Believe it or not, there still are leper colonies. And he ministered there for many years. And then he came back uh, to Canada, actually, and uh, became a psychiatrist because he couldn't qualify to be a medical doctor in Canada, so he just upped his certification to psychiatry and became a psychiatrist. He memorized 500 famous quotes from famous psychiatrists. And uh, every time they tested him and asked him a question, he would just dial up one of the quotes. At the end of the testing to become a psychiatrist, they toasted him, the panel did, which was never done, saying that this was a man whose knowledge could not be plumbed. He would laugh and scoff at that because he said, all I really did was memorize 500 quotes. When they would ask me a question, he would say, well, I don't really know the answer to that. But uh, Freud said, and then he would just dial up a quote. And uh, he fooled them all and became a, a psychiatrist. 
when I met him, he represented for me uh, a kind of Simeon, really, because he had spent his life in devotion to God. He reflected Christ more than any man I've ever met. In one day, I felt I learned more of Christ in one day from that man than I had from hundreds of hours with other people. It was that remarkable. I don't know if I was maybe at an impressionable point in my life. All I can tell you is is that this man lived a life that was devoted to God in the same way that Simeon and Anna had lived their lives. It reflected the, uh, the beauty of our Savior in such a remarkable, remarkable way. That's the kind of person I want to be. When I read this text of Scripture, I want to be the kind of person that is, is so needy before God that I will depend on God for my very next breath, reflecting His glory and to others and His joy to others, to come to Him, to walk in the light with Him day by day, to have that longing, that anticipation of meeting with God day in and day out, longing for the salvation of God to be manifest in and through our church, to our neighbors and to the nations. Our response to Jesus is always the test of spirituality. The answer must come to our hearts and from our hearts. Each person's response to Jesus reveals where he or she is before God. One day, Jesus is going to reveal every heart. The condition of our hearts are either going to be soaked and saturated with His grace and with our response of grace-empowered devotion to Him, or the ugliness of our hearts will be laid plain and bare to all. Lord, have mercy. Jesus Christ is the one appointed by God, the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To Him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. He is the one who is the source of the fall and the rising of many. And when Joseph and Mary had performed everything according to the law, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew. He became strong. He was filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us such great examples in Simeon and Anna on how to finish well, on how to be filled with the Spirit, anticipating and longing for the salvation that you have promised to the nations to come. Lord, we pray for our church that we would be a kind of of community that is so concerned about our neighbors and the nations that we would fast, we would pray, we would witness, and we would worship. Will you help us to do that, Lord? Will you fill your church with your word and your spirit in 2013? God's people said, Amen. Amen.